This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. Alright, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for today, Monday, the 20th of April, 2020. My name is James Roy. I am a writer, but I'm also program manager for Blue Mountains and Blacktown for Westwards. Westwards is a literature organisation that serves Western Sydney. And Western Sydney, of course, two and a half million people. Uh, 170 different countries are represented in over 100 languages. So it's a huge area of people who have stories to tell and who want to hear stories and experience stories. And our job and our, our privilege is to serve uh, this area by providing support to artists, creators, and also uh, facilitating contact with audience members. Anything we, uh, anything we talk about today, you can find more details about on our Westwards website, westwords.com.au. We also recommend that you uh, subscribe to the Westwards newsletter, which comes out every week and has a whole bunch of uh, material that you might be interested in. It's an interesting program we've got lined up for you today because it's mainly talking about the things that we're doing online now because, uh, like most other organisations that have been uh, face-to-face service-based organisations, suddenly we're in the grip of this need to change direction. I've equated the changing of a mid-size arts organisation from face-to-face based to online based as being trying to do a U-turn in a super tanker. So much of today is going to be talking about how we can help serve you in the online space, uh, whether you're an artist or a member of an audience. This new world of lockdowns and quarantines has its upsides. Uh, I think we're all learning that um, those of us who didn't know how to cook are learning very quickly that we can. Uh, We're learning that uh, there's a lot of stuff we go out for that we don't need. We're learning that junk food is possibly something we can survive without. We're learning a lot about our families uh, that we're living close to. Uh, there, that brings its own challenges. I'm currently living with a, have a four-year-old grandson living with us, and that makes uh, things like this today uh, challenging at times. But the plus side is that I get to sit on my front deck in the beautiful Blue Mountains and do this. So welcome to today. Uh, welcome to the podcast, and let's go. One of the things that we like to do on this podcast is uh, to share a quote from someone who was born on this day, on, or, or, or occasionally it's someone who passed away on this day, today being April the 20th. Uh, we are going to hear a couple of quotes from a very interesting creative person. His name's Crispin Hellion Glover. He was born on this day in 1964. The word that often comes up about Crispin is eccentric and even if you look at his Wikipedia page the first thing they say is Glover is known for portraying eccentric characters on screen 
best known of course for George McFly in Back to the Future, uh, Marty's father, who becomes this heroic character uh, who goes from being a, a beaten upon and rather pathetic victim to being a reluctant heroic character. You remember of course that uh, the perhaps his most iconic scene is when he takes on Biff who is with Leah Thompson in the car and he uh, he fights him. He plays a uh, an undertaker in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, one of my favourite movies. He was a thin man in Charlie's Angels. Uh, he played Grendel in Beowulf in 2007. One of my favourite cameos that he that Chris McGlover ever gave was in a an interesting film by Jim Jamoosh called Dead Man starring Johnny Depp released by Miramax Pictures and uh, this is just a little bit of this very short cameo that Crispin Glover has. I had one of those but um, she changed her mind. She found herself somebody else. No. Yes she did. Well, that doesn't explain why you've come all the way out here. All the way out here to hell. I, uh, I have a job out in the town of Machine. Machine? That's the end of the line. Is it? Yes. Well, I received a letter. Dickinson's Metalworks, assuring me of a job. Is that so? Yes, I'm an accountant. I wouldn't know because uh, I don't read. But uh, I'll tell you one thing for sure. I wouldn't trust no words written down on no piece of paper, especially from no Dickinson out in the town of Machine. You're just as likely to find your own grave. Look, we're shooting buffalo. So he's an eccentric character. That's the word we often hear about him. And uh, he's one of these characters who people love or hate, I think. But he's, he's never going to be the guy who has the lead role. Perhaps an entire movie of Crispin Glover would be just a little bit too weird. But he actually addressed this idea of being eccentric in an interview when he said this. I still have a reputation as an eccentric, but the fact is that audiences probably mix up my roles with me as a person. He also said it's like you can't have any fun, and if you do have fun, if you do your own thing, you're considered crazy and should be in a mental institution. Now that's what I find creepy. I'm eccentric. I'm not messed up. When he first went on The Letterman Show, around about the time that River's Edge was coming out, you can find it on YouTube. He actually sp spent the entire episode in character and at one point tried to, uh, tried to plant a karate kick on the face of David Letterman. And David Letterman was kind of spooked by his inability to get inside the head of the actor because he was so firmly in character. But the quote I really want to focus on today is this one. You would think in an ideal world that if you're in a really good film and did a really good job, whether it was a big film or not, you'd get hired a lot. But that is not my experience. The way I'd like to tie this to what we do is that sometimes all the hard work that you 
put in as a writer or as a creator doesn't lead to what you think it will lead to. One time early in my career I was fairly despondent that I, I had been passed over for a, the short list of an award that I'd been really hoping to be included on. My friend Shannon, who tends to be my voice of reason in many of these circumstances, said to me, why are you so sad about this? He said, um, how, why are you sad about not getting on any of the lists that you didn't even know about when you started writing? And it's an interesting thing, isn't it, that sometimes we kind of lose sight of what it is that our success is based on. Even people who've won a lot of awards still hang out for the next one. But as Libby Gleeson says, who happens to be the chair of our organisation as well, and a very successful and highly awarded children's writer, as she says, when these shortlists or awards come out, if you're on them, you celebrate for a day and then you have to get back to work. But if you're not on them, you are sad for a day and then you have to get back to work. At the end of the day, it's all about getting back to work and asking yourself, why are we doing it? So if you're a writer, if you're a poet, if you're a creator, today might be the day to ask yourself, in this time of lockdown where I have this somewhat unprecedented opportunity to work at home and actually get some words on the page, who am I writing for? Am I writing because I'm going to win that next award? Or am I writing because this is what I do? This is who I am. I'm a creator who tells stories. Perhaps we need to stop worrying too much about what the awards say and think about what we say. The landscape around COVID-19 and coronavirus is changing so fast. If I were to give you a quote of a number right now, as it stands, of a number of uh, cases and the number of deaths, Certainly by the time you listen to this podcast, that number will have changed. But it's a lot. For many of us, especially in Australia, it tends to be a number that is quite remote from us. It's other people. So then when it happens to someone close to you, it makes it all the more unthinkable. We have a writer in residence at our centre in Parramatta. His name is Peter Schmigel. And this last week he lost his mother to COVID-19. Uh, he... He lives in Australia, but his mother lived in New York and she passed away to COVID-19 without any of her family nearby, which is something that is pretty hard to get your head around, really. And he wrote a really quite stunning and beautiful piece for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, um, a tribute and celebration. But he talks about how life matters more than the manner of death and how the fear for him and his family is that the fact that it was COVID-19 that took her is going to outweigh and perhaps uh, eclipse the wonderful woman that she was. I really urge everyone to go and find this piece online. Uh, if you go to our website, you'll find it on the link on there. But if you go to the Sydney Morning Herald site and look for uh, COVID-19 took my beloved mother, or Peter Schmigel, S-H-M-I-G-E-L, you'll find this really lovely piece. I was hoping to have a chat with Peter for this podcast, but unfortunately we couldn't quite make things work out from a timing perspective. But I'll be speaking to him during the week and we'll have an interview for you next podcast. But in the meantime, I really urge you to go and have a read of this piece. He talks quite movingly about the fact that he now has to plan 
a funeral, he and his siblings have to plan a funeral for their mother that none of them will be there for because flights aren't going and people can't get together in the same way that we once did. So much has changed. But the interesting thing is that when I spoke to Peter, when I emailed Peter late last week and said to him, uh, could we perhaps have a chat for the podcast about this? Uh, Or is it too soon for you? His answer was, this is what writers do. We write in times of grief and times of joy. And he's absolutely correct. So please go and have a look at that article and uh, tune in in a fortnight for an interview with Peter. A couple of things I'd like to share with you if you're a writer. This is is for writers of all ages. The African-Australian Literature Development Program is a new initiative to support, develop, share and celebrate the richness of the stories of African-Australians within the multicultural context of Western Sydney. It's run by Westwards and the African-Australian Advocacy Centre, and it's supported by the Addis Family Foundation. And it aims through stories to create a bridge of understanding and empathy between communities and generations and a sense of belonging and pride. There is a growing population or community of African-born people in Western Sydney. We're seeking expressions of interest for people of all ages to come together and tell their stories. So that sounds like you. Get along to the uh, website and fill in the EOI, the expression of interest. The new mini masterclasses, the podcasts, are out now. These bite-sized conversations with professional writers, poets and editors, focusing on different aspects of story story and writing. We have had three last week, came out, uh, with Deborah Bella, Tim Harris and Rawa Arja. And we've got two new ones out this week. Bring Me an Angle, non-fiction, with James Knight, who is a uh, sports writer and non-fiction writer and biographer. And Anger and Eloquence, Creating Tension, with John Larkin. John Larkin is an award-winning children's young adult and adult and non-fiction writer and a writer-in-residence at UTS and Knox Grammar School. So chase us down on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You're listening to a podcast right now, so it's probably going to be on the same platform that you're working with at this moment. Westwards Writing Consultations. This is an opportunity we are offering to speak directly with a published practicing artist about your project or your work practice or your career options. What we ask you to do is answer a short questionnaire we have that basically tries to glean what it is that will help you best in in what you're trying to achieve. And from that, we choose the best person for you to give you the guidance you need. There is, a, there is a cost attached. If you go to our website, you can see what that will cost you. But if you just need that little dip into a little bit of assistance or help or support, then this might be just the thing for you. If you're an emerging writer, which would mean that you have something published, but not a huge amount, then this might be something that you might be interested in. The Westwards Western Sydney University Writers in Residence Programme. Now, the applications for this were going to be closing on the 30th of April, but they have now gone out. We've extended them to uh, the 17th of May, another another couple of weeks. So the details of this at the Writing and Society Research Centre at Western Sydney Uni and Westwards are calling for applications for two Western Sydney writer-in-residence positions. And this is funded by a grant from Copyright Agency Limited, the cultural fund. 
So two riders in virtual residence will be appointed for periods of three weeks each from September to December this year. Then when the situation returns to normal, the residency will be in person at a time mutually convenient to the riders, Western Sydney Union and Westwards. There is money attached to this. You receive a remuneration of $12,500. You also get to work with Sydney Review of Books and the Writing Society Research Centre and Westwards. It's a really great opportunity for an emerging writer. Uh, you don't have to be from Western Sydney, but uh, there are certain elements of the application where you show your uh, willingness to engage with some of the core values and and uh, priorities of Westwards and Western Sydney University as Western Sydney organisations. If you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, the writers group is now uh, on Zoom. The writing group meets every second Wednesday at 6.30. Has been at Westwards Centre for Writing in North Parramatta, but of course, at the moment, it's going to have to be on Zoom. Proudly supported by Aurora, uh, and this year they are working towards an anthology. So this would be a wonderful opportunity to see your words in print. Now, folks, let's be serious now. The Blake Poetry Prize. We've had an extension on the closing date. So you might need it because we figured you might need a bit more time to submit your entry. So it's been extended out to the 31st of May. Now, I've talked about this one a bit. And there's one really, really solid reason why I've talked about this a bit because it's got a lot of money attached, $5,000 prize. And the ex exhibition awards will take place after Casula Powerhouse can safely reopen. The $5,000 prize challenges Australian poets of varied styles and religious and spiritual allegiances to explore the wider experience of spirituality, religion, and or belief in a new work of 100 lines or less. You don't have to be a believer. You don't even have to pretend to be a believer. It just may mean that you have something to say about spirituality, religion, faith, God, you name it. So that has been extended till the 31st of May. Really encourage you to jump on that. Now for young people, ordinarily Westwards runs holiday workshops and we were planning holiday workshops for these holidays as well. But of course, holiday workshops can't take place in person. So guess what? We're taking them online. Now, you would think that we'd be doing them live via Zoom or something like that, but no, even better. We have pre-recorded these. They're up on our YouTube channel now. So what we have is the Frenemies Workshop with Erin Goff, young adult writer. We have an illustrating workshop with Eloise Short. We have a creative writing workshop for 9 to 13-year-olds with the person who wrote the book that Eloise Short illustrated, Leonard the Lyrebird. Jody McLeod and they're all free and they're all up now ready to enjoy and use and share so the place to go when you go to YouTube is search for Westwards Official that's the name of our YouTube channel and you'll see them all lined up there ready to enjoy now when term two comes back in a few weeks time uh, we will be restarting the after-school creative writing classes, but they'll be on Zoom now. 
these are with professional creative writing teachers. Every Monday will be years 4 to 9, and Wednesdays will be years 10 to 12. They start on the 27th of April, so you can register with us and get more info on the website. And you can use your $100 Creative Kids voucher for this program if you haven't used that already. For educators, just like we always are, we're here to support teachers because they're all shifting their teaching online. I can't imagine what that job's like. And just as we do live, we can organise a program for you and your students. So online workshops, online residencies, author events um, with a professional author. They can be tailored to your needs. We can pre-record them or do them live or include a live and text-based Q&A session. All sorts of different things that we can do to uh, help you with what you're trying to set up. In previous podcasts, we've talked about the three Westwards fellows, Aisha Ali, Claire Cow, and Erin Sayers. And we've heard from the first two, but today we're going to hear from Erin. I spoke with Erin on the phone a short while ago. So Erin, how are you? I'm actually doing really well right now. Uh, for those uh, listening on the podcast, you can't see the pictures I can see, but I'm looking at Erin uh, on, a, on a very clear um, fibre to the home uh, NBN mm. connection at the moment. And I can see <laughs> behind her, she's got um, all sorts of flow charts and, and whiteboards and um, so forth. And it looks like you've been very busy, Erin. Um, so tell us what you've been working on. Well, actually, for, before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, because what the listeners of the podcast know is that you're one of the three fellows. Uh, for Westwards this year. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you came to be doing this. So um, I've been writing for about 12 years. A BA, did theatre, did writing, was really just for fun. Um, and then I've relatively recently finished a film degree at Afters, but being a writer was always kind of the core plan for me, um, but just doing it in different ways. Um, so right now I'm working on the first book of a young adult trilogy, which is what I'm doing for the fellowship. A young adult trilogy, is, is there a genre that you can mention? Is, is, is it realist? Is it fantasy? What, what are we talking? So it's um, fantasy, but it's also steampunk. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with steampunk um, and a lot of our listeners will be, but some may not. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of what steampunk is? Yeah, so the really simple definition is if um, Victorians were writing science fiction, it's what their science fiction would have looked like and by from Victorians, their worldview. You world don't mean view. people south of the New South Wales border. You mean people? From no, no, no. I mean um, uh, Queen Queen Victoria. So uh, Victorian period. We typically tend to sort of stretch from about eighteen seventy to nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, if you move any further forward in time from 1900, it actually becomes a slightly different subgenre. So mm-hmm. if you move into World War One, it would become diesel punk, and then it's mm-hmm. diesel punk for a couple of decades, and eventually you run into cyberpunk and this sort of 80s revival that we're in right now. That's sort of its own thing. Well, you kind of, yeah, and once you get into that diesel punk thing, you're kind of into Scott Westerfeld territory with his book Leviathan, which was really... We could we could talk for hours about his work, but really, the sort of a, he he navigates that kind of position between steam and diesel, doesn't he? That's really what the the conflict of World War One is about in his version of history. Yeah, um, 
Dieselpunk's really interesting. It's not something that you sort of see very often. Steampunk's a little bit, well, a little bit more established. Um, but Dieselpunk's kind of this in-between thing. Um, a lot of times people will sort of mess them up, sort of put everything into the same category. Mm. But depending on who you talk to, especially hardcore steampunkers, mm. um, there are very sort of defined errors and rules that come into that. And then there's subgenres and, and all of this other stuff. Um, so it's awesome that people write in these different genres, but when you actually start digging into them, there's a lot of rules yeah. um, that the community kind of has created for itself. Um, yeah. Essentially, yeah. steampunks sort of existed since the 1980s. Um, the guy who sort of heralded as creating cyberpunk also created steampunk within the same couple of years. You can apply steampunk to like a romance novel. Mm. It's called Gaslight Romance, and it's literally oh. a romance. It's literally a romance novel, but it it's set in a steampunk setting. So you can kind of sort of steampunk's like an umbrella that you can kind of apply to pre-existing genres. So it could you know could be adventure or horror or sort of other bits and pieces, and just sort of apply this worldview over the top. Beautiful, which well, is nice. Mm, it is absolutely no, I agree, and um, it's nice to hear someone talk about steampunk with some authority and with some knowledge because it it is a a very misunderstood genre, um, and a lot of cosplayers like steampunk, and that's fine because you can you know if you go to somewhere <laughs> like Iron Fest in Lithgow or there's a steampunk yep. festival down in Goulburn, I don't know if you've been to that one. Actually, um, I have a couple of years in a row. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Steampunk events are sort of few and far between at our end of the world. Um, a lot more stuff tends to happen sort of in the US and in Europe. The biggest thing in our hemisphere is actually in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be in about a month. It would be this year for obvious yeah. reasons. Obviously, yeah. Um, yeah, Steampunk Capital of the World is actually a small town in New Zealand. Yeah, there you go. The fun thing about these steampunk events that you, you know, like the festivals or whatever, they actually are really forgiving. Like you can turn up with a, <laughs> a pair of plastic Bunnings goggles that have been painted gold on your on yeah. your costume shop, <laughs> and people will go, "Oh, I love your costume." How do ask me how I know this, Aaron? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's from deeply personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> Someone vaguely approximating my size, weight, and age <laughs> might have done that once. Okay, so I had a couple of questions for you, and you've really ticked off a couple of those. Tell us what you tell us about yourself. You told us a bit about yourself, what you're writing. So you're writing a trilogy. Yes. Well, um, sort of in its current format, it will be a trilogy. But I've just come out of a three-year film degree where I specialized a lot in multi-platform. Mm -hmm. So to clarify, multi-platform is when you have sort of a universe, a fictional universe, but it will exist in different media. So um, film, video games, books, TV, um, you can sort of extrapolate out a little bit. So an obvious um, example of this might be, say, I mean, it's going to be a, a clunky, cliched example, but the Marvel Universe, is that sort of the thing? Yeah, that? definitely. Um, in the last couple of years, it's sort of changed from its simple comicness into essentially a multi-platform because real multi-platform actually will tell different parts of the story in different media. 
which you're really getting was sort of the movies versus comics versus the TV shows and how it all sort of works together. Mm. And that's sort of the goal of multi-platform is not just to remake something as a movie or a TV show endless amount of times, but to actually build the universe in different ways. It also makes a certain amount of um, commercial sense as well, I suppose. Especially nowadays when, you know, it's not like we have the same amount of people going to the movies all the time. People are consuming even books in different, you know, Sometimes it's ebook, sometimes it's an audiobook, sometimes it's a hard copy. Um, people are reading and absorbing content in totally new ways, and it's changing every year. So, approaching something from kind of a bigger umbrella yeah. is interesting. One of the things that kind of bothered me back in the days of the the re, the prequels of star wars i mean I've, I've never been a big star wars guy anyway but when they started making the, when they started making the prequels and um mm. the first couple of those felt to me very formulaic and very guided very much like they were on a particular path you start off fighting the little guys and you start fighting big guys and end up with a big boss fight at the end and it was something about it made me feel a bit queasy until i saw the video game come out and i thought hang on they've actually yep. scripted this thing Yep. So that it will transition really well into a video game. And the other, yeah. example, the other example of that I'd give is the, um, I found this really actually quite amusing when I went and saw the Lego movie and they had, they had a, <laughs> which I loved, yeah. but they, they had <laughs> the car that they're driving is this kind of weird thing made up of a whole bunch of bits put together that don't belong in the kit yeah. together, which is kind of the point of the film in a sense. Yeah. But then I went to Kmart <laughs> and there was, an actual kit made up of all those disparate pieces and you go, yeah, Lego, oh, we've Lego's gone totally meta now. That. We've really gone meta <laughs> now. So you, you're being, um, you're being mentored by Ben Peak. Um, yeah. What, what sort of input is he offering to what without, without throwing him under the bus, what kind of advice <laughs> has he been offering you? And is it, is it good advice? Uh, it's actually been really good advice um, because Ben has, Quite a bit of experience. Oh, sorry. He has quite a bit of experience in sort of the nature of fantasy Mm -hmm. and the idea of having a story that goes over multiple volumes and this sort of scale of world building. Um, It's been really great to talk to Ben because I don't have to slow everything down. Mm -hmm. I can just go, this is this and this is that. And this relates to something which is much bigger that I haven't started yet. And he'll go, yep, okay, just tell me what it is and we'll go from here. That's been really useful. Because a lot of times um, when I've sort of written with other people, like at film school, we had to write things together. A lot of the time, if you already had a lot of the world building done, you'd step into this thing and start riffing on things. And then you'd have to take two hours and sort of break everything down into really, really tiny pieces. So it's been useful to have someone who has that sort of experience of that before the lockdown, we actually managed to meet up in person and we just sort of in sat around. What's that, what's that like? What's it like meeting someone in person? I, I've got a vague memory of that, but it's not. Um, it was good. It was, it was a good, it was nice to sort of, it was a nice icebreaker of just sort of, we didn't really talk about the work so much. It was just like, hi, I'm X, you're yeah. Y, and it worked yeah. really well. So. 
Okay. For, so finally, Erin, as part of your fellowship, you were originally yeah. going to be doing face-to-face workshops. Um, yes. Workshops. And then And then things. this happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we may be lucky and we may get a chance to still do that, but it'll be online almost certainly. But uh, just give mm. us a quick, I think I can probably guess from what you've said so far what it might be about, but can you give us a bit of a rundown on what your workshop will be about in broad terms? Yeah, so my workshop's about the fundamentals of world building mm-hmm. um, because I do work in sci-fi and fantasy. It's always been something that I've had to sort of work on and I've got all of my own tricks and things. And I realised talking, I mean, not just to sort of kids, my cousins and stuff who are sort of quite creative in their own ways, but other people who are creative that a lot of the times the limit to them progressing you know, past a certain point is because they don't quite know the techniques mm. to get enough of the world building down so that they can actually keep moving. Right. Um, so the workshop is about taking really simple techniques, really basic stuff, and being able to take an idea that you may, may be totally new and basic building blocks to get it to a point where it will start to sort of function with the story engine. And I, guess, I guess the holy grail of this kind of thing is to create a world that is that spawns fan fiction. I mean, for something like, for example, yeah. the Harry Potter world or the Star Wars world or, or yeah, or, uh, that, that the fan fiction is kind of that's when you know you've made it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, world building comes down to a set of basic rules, and they're the rules that you actually make, but within your story they actually have to make sense so if you come across part of the story where you know this thing breaks a rule you know that you sort of can't cross that point Mm. or you have to go back and restructure the world if it's so important that you can't not have it so world building isn't something that you just do at the beginning and then it's done you put it to the side and you just write your story it's something that you have to sort of build on but a lot of the time, those first starting steps are what people, you know, that's what they trip on. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of taking really basic stuff and really basic world ideas and be able to sort of make a world out of anything. I don't know if you've heard Scott Westerfeld talk about Leviathan, but, but he, had, yes. he actually, um, for those listening, he, he talks about how he had an illustrator doing some illustrations of the giant airship that he has in the story. Yeah. And he said, what are these particular things that you've drawn here? He said, that's for the message, the message lizards. <laughs> and, and Scott said, oh, what, are, what are you talking about, the message lizards? And he said, well, somehow they've got to get li- messages from one part of the airship to another. <laughs> so presumably they're yeah. lizards and they're going to need something to run on. And then that's when Scott went, I've totally got to have message lizards. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I haven't kind of misquoted him there. but that, that's And so I guess that's, a, that's the other part of this world building thing is that it's not only an imposition, it's not always an imposition to have to go back and fix things. Sometimes it's an opportunity to actually add detail that really helps your story later. Yeah, and a lot of the time, sort of, once you sort of have that story that you've sort of set in this world, going back and adding that detail can be the fun bit. Sometimes it can really take the, you know, the mundane out of writing in that you sort of get back, you get to go back and sort of put in these tiny little things that nobody might ever need to find out about. It might not be necessary for sort of the scene that you write or the book that comes out, 
but a lot of the time you get a lot of personal satisfaction in knowing that there is so much more sort of when you go behind the curtain. Mm. And like you said, if it does get to a scale where it is something like Harry Potter or Star Wars, all of a sudden you have all of this material that you don't have to sort of leave to other people or mm. make up or then suddenly backtrack. Oh, oh no, uh, but, th- but this is how this worked. Mm. You'd actually sort of go, here is access to everything. Mm. Um, that's a lot of fun. I always like that. Erin, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, I, I reckon we're going to come back and revisit this at some point and do a, a longer one. And this one's probably yeah, that'd be bit, great. This one's probably gone a little bit over time, but hey, it's been an interesting <laughs> chat. I've enjoyed it very much. Um, so, Erin Sayers, uh, congratulations again on your fellowship. We look forward to thank catching you. up with you as you go. Uh, all the best with your writing, and uh, mm. thanks for talking to us today. Cool, thank you. So that was Erin Sayers, who's one of our three West Words fellows for this year, and we wish all of them best of luck as they try and get their head around what they have to do online because part of their fellowship is to actually present some workshops and when we first got this program off the ground and introduced these three young people to it uh, it was going to be just a regular workshop in a classroom or wherever but that's all had to change so everyone's having to adapt as you're adapting and as you're trying to navigate your way through this crazy time we would do well to take one more quote from Crispin Glover A good thing to live by is to go after what truly interests you. So if you've got time right now because of lock-ins or whatever, now might be the time to try writing that novel or that short story or that graphic novel or try drawing or painting or making music, something that you haven't necessarily ever had the time to do because you've always got so many other things to do every week. But now that you're at home, maybe you've got the time. Opportunities are around us and it's always good to take them on. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We will see you again in a fortnight. Once again, if you have any questions at all, just email us, admin at westwords.com.au or go to westwords.com.au website and we will have all that information on there. See you in a fortnight and as we always say, happy creating.